right. We're in Isaiah chapter 24, if you want to turn your Bibles there. While you're doing that, um, a psalm came to mind uh, today. Psalm 30, I'll read it to you. A perfect psalm for this weekend. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O my Lord, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Listen to this verse. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell you tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned me, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that the glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Father, I pray that that would be our hearts expressed tonight on Thanksgiving Eve 2015. That we would reflect on all that you have done for us and provided for us. Beginning with salvation, Lord. You brought us up from the grave. Uh, you brought us up from the Sheol. You have turned our mourning into dancing, Lord, for we have eternity with you. May glory sing unto you your praise, and may we give thanks to you forever. Father, we above all people, followers of the great God and Savior Jesus, should be thankful every day. I pray, Father, that this spirit would rise up in us with joy. Lord, that you would set our hearts toward you. Father, help us to enjoy your word tonight. I thank you for the fellowship of the saints that we could come together, Lord. As we sang, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. What a glorious God we serve. We praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've heard a rumor, I don't know that this is true or not, but I've heard that there are places on the earth that all of a sudden the earth just kind of shoots up, like really high, like rock just comes out of the ground and forms these jagged, I think they're called mountains. If, I, if I've got the term right, I've never seen one living here in central Ohio, but I believe that they are there. I've heard, you know, right here we have the greatest elevation change we have is from here to Lancaster, where it goes down four feet, you know, and that's, that's the hill we have here in Ohio. But I've heard there are mountains. Of course, you know I'm joking, but there's no such thing as mountains. Just kidding. No. But if you were to look at a mountain range from 
a vast distance away, you could understand where it would be easy to assume that multiple mountains come together in one peak. That, that the peaks of the mountains just kind of blend together, and you might mistake how many peaks there truly are, depending on how far away you are. And then the closer you got to the mountain range, you would be able to distinguish the different peaks and the different valleys and the different crests and what have you, and, and distinguishing those. Well, I think the same is true that we can apply that principle to prophecy when it, when it comes in the Bible. And perhaps as Isaiah looked down the corridor of time, looking at the mountain range, if it were, he might have had trouble distinguishing the difference between one mountain peak and another mountain peak um, and, and telling exactly a, a distinction between the two. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. Daniel had the same trouble. And what I'm specifically talking about here is the two different peaks of Jesus' coming. And sometimes in prophecy, especially when you're a thousand years before, as you look down the corridor of time at a distance from the mountain range, perhaps Isaiah, perhaps Daniel, perhaps Ezekiel had trouble seeing the difference between Jesus' first coming as the servant king and Jesus' second coming as the, the king of kings and lord of lords. And so that's why as we read through Isaiah and read through the Old Testament prophecies, sometimes it just appears to bounce back and forth. I think it's because as Isaiah looked at it through what God had given him, perhaps it was difficult to distinguish between the peaks. Are you tracking with me? And so that's why we bounce in Isaiah kind of back and forth between different things, and, and it's just kind of all over the place. And, and we, we're transitioning now into Isaiah chapter 24. We're moving from these local judgments that we had looked at um, in chapter 13 through chapter 23 to now a global judgment. So those, those local judgments all happened at the time um, or, or shortly thereafter Isaiah had prophesied them. Babylon fell. Tyre eventually fell, as we read last week. Uh, the, you know, the Assyrians came up to the neck of Jerusalem. All those things happened in relative close time. But now as we transition into chapter 24, we're looking ahead to a time that we haven't seen yet. While all the local judgments are in our past, everything was in Isaiah's future, the, what we're looking at now in 24, 25, 26, 27 is yet to come on our scale as well. And just so we're all clear, just kind of the timeline that we're working with, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture in which really, as, I, as Israel is now a nation, there is nothing left on the prophetic scale to happen before Christ could return. Now we know that he's orchestrating things and, and, and putting things in place, and certainly as you see you know, Russia's involvement with, with what, all that's going on in the Middle East, that certainly piques our interest. And, and, and the things that are happening in our world today are, are new, news and noteworthy to us. But on the, on the grand scheme, we, we believe there's nothing left for, to happen for Christ to return other than the fulfillment of the Gentiles, what he has promised, that there's a, a number of Gentiles that are going to give their lives to Christ. And when that number hits the mark, Jesus will come for his bride. After that, there will be a seven-year great tribulation period, and that's what we're going to look at here in chapter 24. After 
the tribulation period, there's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign by Christ. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem on the earth. After that, the, the old earth and the old heavens will pass away. The new earth and the new heavens will come, and, and we will live forever with him. Just kind of a brief synopsis. So we're looking at that time that would be the great tribulation, the seven-year period. It says in Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes its waste, makes it waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. So in this great tribulation time, the Lord is, is going to leverage his judgment against the entire earth. We saw local judgments in those last 11 chapters. Now we're looking at God's judgment against the entire earth. And Isaiah likens it to making the earth empty. As you read through the book of Revelation um, and consider the different judgments, it's crazy to think about how many people are lost in the judgments. Just one of the bold judgments, one-third of the earth's population is lost. One-third of the earth. That's an incredible number to consider. But it says there, it, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes its waste, distorts its surface. That's an interesting thought. And as you read through the book of Revelation, there's five different massive earthquakes described in that book. It's possible, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and Joe Foch kind of believes that perhaps in that tribulation period, we would, because of the earthquakes, perhaps the earth would be tilted back on its axis properly. And and, and perhaps change slightly our orbit, and we would move back to a 360-day year. God kind of setting it back to the way that it was. Possibly. Hard to say. We'll know when we get there, I suppose. It says in verse 2, And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The idea of verse 2 is, God, as God is leveling judgment on the earth, there is no one who escapes that judgment. It's everybody involved. It's an all-skate, if you would. Everybody's, no one escapes this judgment. And that's just another reason that I believe that we are not here. As with the people, so with the priests, and on and on. Every, the, everybody is uh, affected by this. Verse 3, the land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. There are those who would prep, be uh, labeled as preppers for the apocalyptic time. There are those that are preppers just because they think, you know, there's going to be a, a difficult season ahead. And I'm not condemning that, but there are those that would say, I'm going to live through, I'm going to dig a hole and live through the apocalypse, you know, the zombie apocalypse or whatever they think it is, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to survive it. And the answer is no, you're not. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken his word. The Lord spoke it, you can bank it, you can trust it. It's better than the FDIC, right? That's the right letters? Okay. I don't have any money, so I don't even I don't pay attention to the commercials, <laughs> the member, whatever, member FDIC, whatever that means. Verse four: The earth mourns and fades away; the world languishes and fades away. The haughty people 
of the earth languish. Three times that, uh, or two times languishes, languish. That's a, a, a struggle, a pain, a sorrow, a, a difficult thing. But the key that we want to pull from verse 4, it says the haughty people of the earth languish. Haughtiness is an issue of pride. And that is always the issue. C.S. Lewis says it so succinctly. Pride is at the root of all sin. You boil any sin down, at the base of any sin is pride. And the haughty people of the earth languish, it says in verse 4. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Talk about a, a series of accusations. They have the, the inhabitants of the earth are the cause of God's judgment. The earth is defiled. The earth is an innocent bystander in all of this, but the earth is defiled because of its inhabitants. Sorry. I'll try to simmer down. Because of its inhabitants, the earth is defiled. And why? Because they have transgressed the laws. That word transgression there means something different than just sinning. To transgress is to know the law and still choose to do the wrong thing. I know what the right thing is to do, and I'm still going to not do that. I'm still going to sin against that. This isn't God's fault. This is the inhabitant's fault. They broke the everlasting covenant, right? Sin in the garden. Adam, from from initial sin, broke the covenant, that everlasting covenant that God had with his people was broken by Genesis chapter 3. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. This is bleak sounding and rightly so just crunch some numbers with me you know how i like numbers say there's seven billion people on earth right now there's actually more than that let's see let's be generous let's say we lose one billion people to the rapture one one seventh of the world's population are actually born again bible-believing christians let's say and they leave in the rapture that means the earth's population goes from seven million to six million in the rapture then in one of the bold judgments, one-third of the earth's population is lost. That's two billion people, right? Six billion people left, two billion people lost in one of the bold judgments. Consider that just for a second. We can't imagine a billion anythings. But that's a serious amount of people, all right? We just, we lost 180 in Paris, whatever the number was, 154, I can't remember exactly, under 200. And, and the world is upturned because of it. Rightfully so. Imagine losing 2 billion people. That, that's, that's like New York City going from 8 million people down to um, 4.5 million. That's like North Dakota going down to 3 people. Right? Because <laughs> there's 9 people in North Dakota now. So... <laughs> Could you imagine three people in North Dakota? I mean, you'd have all the land you wanted. <laughs> Few men are left, it says at the end of verse 6. Everybody thinks it's going to be a party. Verse 7, but no, the new wine fails. The vine languishes. All the merry-hearted sigh. 
The mirth of the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. So when the toast is burned and the milk is churned and Captain Crunch is waving farewell, (laughs) when the big one finds you, may this song remind you that they don't serve breakfast in hell. Newsboys. <laughs> Sorry, I strolled down memory lane this today. So that's a funny song. Steve Taylor wrote that song, by the way. Just saying. It's not going to be a party, like many people think. There was actually another song that I was trying to find by a band called The Disciples. That's called No Surfing in Hell. That, that, you know, you, you, you think you're taking your board, you got it all waxed up, and there'll be plenty of fun in hell, but there is no surfing in hell. It's not going to be what people think it is. It says in verse 10, the city of confusion, excuse me, is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. There is a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city, desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction when, it, uh, when it, it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. It was interesting, in those days, they would send harvesters into the olive groves, into the, the vineyards to, to glean the grapes, to glean the olives, and they would do as thorough a job as they could, but very often they wouldn't reach the tops of the trees or what have you. So after the harvest, after everything was cleaned out, they would send stronger men into the vineyards and into the olive groves specifically to shake the trees. And they would just grab a hold of the branches and just shake as hard as they could to, to wiggle. In fact, they have a machine that does it now. You can check it out on YouTube. It's a, you know, it grabs the, the trunk of the tree and it's just this violent shaking you know, it's like, how does the tree survive? But it does. And it's, the whole point is to make the, the harvest complete, to get everything. God's judgment, God's uh, leveling His judgment, it will be, no stone will be left unturned. They shall lift up their voice, they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the dawning light. The name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. Isaiah's recommendation, let all the earth glorify God from the farthest parts of the earth, right? Glorify the Lord in the dawning light, the the land of the rising sun. May may all all of the earth glorify God, the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth, we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. But I said, I am ruined ruined. Woe to me. This is Isaiah. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Say that three times fast. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Isaiah's heart, we talked about this last week. Isaiah doesn't want this judgment to come against the earth. Isaiah is brokenhearted over this. That, that God would have to level his judgment. He would, he would much rather see people repent, and that has to be our heart as well. We know that those that don't place their faith in Christ are going to everlasting torment. Eternity without God. Are we, our hearts should be broken over that, not hardened like Jonah's was as we looked at last week. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of earth. 
Doesn't sound pleasant, does it? And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. And for the windows of on high are open and the foundations of the earth are shaken. <laughs> so you think you're going to get out of it. You, you run away from the fear and you fall into a pit. Somehow you survive the fall in the pit and you crawl your way out only to get caught in a bear trap. Right? That's a bad day. But that's what God is saying is going to happen. There is no escape. If the fear doesn't get you, the pit will. If the pit doesn't get you, the snare will. And, and God's plan is complete. The windows of heaven are on high or open. We know that one of the judgments is going to be hail, 70-pound hailstones. What's that going to do to your car? And then, like I said, the earth will be shaken, five violent earthquakes. Look at verse 19. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. We know that, that possibly in the, the, the battle of Armageddon, that the, the earth is just going to swallow up all those that would come against God. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. It's going to not even know what hit it. And shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall and not rise again. This God is exact and complete in His righteous, just judgment. It shall come to pass in that day, verse 21, that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones, and on the earth the kings of the earth. So in that day, this, this coming of the kingdom the, during the great tribulation, in that day the Lord will punish the high on high, the host of the exalted ones. These are demonic and earthly leaders. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, a verse we're familiar with. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And in that day, it says in verse 21, God will punish them. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered into the pit and will be shut up in, in the prison. After many days, they will be punished. You're familiar with the book of Revelation, uh, death and Hades, uh, will, all will be thrown into the pit. And it says there for many days in verse 22, we know that to be a thousand years. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> right? This is just a happy time we're reading about here in Isaiah chapter 24. It actually does get more pleasant as we continue to read. Verse 23, then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. God's glory, this is so amazing to think about, God's glory is more radiant than the sun and the moon. It says when we reach the new Jerusalem and Christ is there, we will have no need for the sun, for he will be our source of light. What, a, what an incredible thought. And then just think about that line before his elders, right? The Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion, Jesus coming to Jerusalem, reigning from Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. As we pilgrimage to Jerusalem in that thousand-year reign, and, and we get to hear Bible studies taught by Jesus himself, bless you, 
And we, we get the opportunity to sit at the table with his elders. Hey, Abraham, you want to play? <laughs> right arm, left arm. <laughs> Isaac, introduce me to Rachel. Jacob, you know, let me see your hip. Well, we'll have the opportunity to sit with the elders then, gloriously. So now we get into chapter 25, and we're going to begin looking at that thousand-year reign where the kingdom of God is established on earth, where the Lord of hosts reigns from Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Look at verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. He certainly has done wonderful things. What, what a right phrase to begin looking at the thousand-year reign of Christ. It begins with exaltation. It begins with praise. That's what those thousand years and all of eternity are going to be filled with. We're going to exalt Him. We're going to praise Him. We're going to honor Him. We're going to glorify Him. It's going to be beautiful. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. He has done wonderful things. Can we say amen? He has done wonderful things. He is so good to us. He is faithful. He's never faltered. He's never failed. He is true. Never any variation or shifting shadow in him. Absolute truth. He's not like magnetic north that moves from time to time. It's he's he's the constant. You have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. He's likening the earth here in verse 2 and 3 to a city. You take that back into the verse and know that he's talking about a city, or talking about the earth. You've made the earth a ruin, a, a fortified city. The earth is a ruin, a place, a palace of foreigners, a, to be a city no more. Verse 4. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. More than you and I would ever recognize, God is our strength. He is our strong tower. He is our shield. I think the older, the more, I don't want to say older, the more mature we get in Christ, the more we recognize our dependence upon Him. But even as a mature follower of Christ, we don't fathom all that He does on our behalf. He is our strong tower. He is the one who shields us, a refuge from the storm. He is the one that gives strength to the needy and the poor. It says in verse 5, You, God, you will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. God is going to shield us from that horrible day. He's going to re reduce the noise of the aliens. He's going to He's going to shelter us from the storm as heat in a dry place, right? That's what we always talk about. It's a dry heat. What's that mean? Well, a dry heat's not as bad as a wet heat. 
you know, a humid heat, right, or whatever. That's, that's the idea. So the dry heat isn't as bad, right? That's what he's saying. That's the way the shield will be. Heat in a shadow of a cloud. If you're under a cloud, it's not as hot as standing out in the bright sun. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces. <laughs> now we're talking. A feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow. That's cow right there. <laughs> of well-refined wines on the lees. You think tomorrow's a feast. And, and you know what? By earthly standards, it may very well be. It could be a glorious time, and I pray for everybody that it is a, a time of fellowship and enjoying food and being thankful for all that God has given us. But when we are there, when we are in that place, when he invites us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, when he invites us to sit down at a feast that he has prepared, behold, all th old things are passed away. Behold, all things have come new, right? The, the, the best meal on earth will, will be a distant memory and fade in comparison to all that he would offer us in this joyous celebration of husband and wife coming together in the marriage supper. Choice pieces. Feast of wine on the lees. That's wine that had, has matured in, on, on the uh, sediment. <coughs> Fat things full of marrow. That sounds like bacon to me. Uh, Well-refined wines on the lees. I don't know. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be magnificent. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all the people and the veil that is spread over all the nations. He's going to destroy something there on the mountain that is covering cast all over, over all the people. What would that be? What touches everybody in this room? Death. The, the veil that, or the, 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 cast, the covering that's cast over all people is death. And he's going to destroy death as he reigns on high. He has destroyed death through the cross. The veil that is spread over all nations, that veil is the inability to see Jesus as the Savior. In the kingdom age, when he is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, all doubt will be removed. He will swallow up death forever, it says in verse 8. Amen. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Sounds very familiar language, right? Kind of sounds like John in Revelation. Maybe John was stole this from Isaiah, but Revelation chapter 21, the last chapter of the Bible. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow or crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these, write, for these words are faithful and true. Back to verse 8 of Isaiah. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. We'll be in His presence. And it will be said in that day, verse 9, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for Him. He will save us. This is the Lord. 
We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. All the people, all people will see the saving hand of the Lord. That doesn't mean all people will be saved. Some will still reject him in the kingdom age. But all will see the saving hand of the Lord. For on this mountain, the hand of the Lord will rest and Moab shall be trampled down under him. Isaiah here picks Moab, but it could have been any location. Moab will be trampled down under him as straw is trampled down for the refuse heap. And he will spread out his hands in their midst as a swimmer reaches out to swim. And he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. God's destruction, God's judgment is going to be vast and complete. It will reach out like a swimmer reaches out his hands to swim, and he will bring down their pride. There it is again. Pride is at the root of all sin. It is defiance against a holy God. The fortress of the high fort of your walls he will bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, down to the dust. It's vast. It's complete. No stone left upon another. Imagine, imagine violent earthquakes, right? How, how the land will be leveled in that day. It says in verse 1 of 26, in that day, so we're still talking about the kingdom age here, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. This is a song you and I are going to sing. We have a strong city God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. We're going to have to look up what bulwarks means. <laughs> the city is strong. This is a song sung in the land of Judah. The city is strong because Jesus is there. Now, if you don't get anything else out of tonight, here's what I'm about to say. The city is strong because Jesus is there. What is true of Jerusalem then is already true in us today. The city is strong because Jesus is there. What is true of Jerusalem there is true of you and I, true of the Christian today. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, at the end of the Great Commission, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are strong. You and I are strong. We need to stop thinking that we come from a place of timidity. We need to think, stop thinking that we come from a place of fear. That we, we are the underdogs of this world. That is not the case. We are strong, not because of our strength, for I know I am weak, but He is strong. And what is true of Jerusalem in that day? What did it say? In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. The reason the city is strong is because Jesus is there. The reason that you and I are strong today is because he said, I'm with you always. Let's rise up in that strength. How, does, how, do the, how do the disciples go from John chapter 20, where they lock the door because they're afraid of the Jews, to in Acts chapter 4, where they, they, the, the, the people take note because uh, they lacked fear. Peter and John, as they declared the good works of God, they, they noticed that they weren't afraid. How do they go from being afraid in John chapter 20 to having no fear in Acts chapter 4? Well, in between is Acts chapter 1, when the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on them. With, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's be a strong people. 
Courage is not having courage is not not having fear. Courage is standing in spite of your fear. We need to be a courageous people. We need to be a bold people. Even if we are afraid. Look at verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Hear the invitation to open the gates, right? The gates were a defense. They had a walled city, a protected city that would only, you'd only be permitted in through the gates. And Jesus is saying here through Isaiah, open the gates. There's, there's no need for defense because Jesus reigns on high. They can be opened because He, Jesus, brings about peace. In verse 3, such a beautiful verse. You will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. That's a glorious phrase and one that we can put on our coffee mugs today and it ministers to our hearts even yet today. But in that day as well, because He's reigning from Jerusalem, perfect peace will ensue. You will keep Him in perfect peace. His is the keeping. That's His responsibility. He's the one that keeps us in perfect peace. And He never falters in that. He keeps us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. What's interesting about that phrase, perfect peace, in the original language, it's shalom, shalom. Both words. He who keeps you in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. That's perfect peace. Such a, a, a beautiful phrase. There is contingency whose mind is stayed on you. I don't know about you. Yeah, I do know about you. And I know about me too. In this day and age, it's not easy to keep our mind stayed on Him, is it? And that's why we lose that perfect peace that He would offer us today is because we lose sight of Him. The, the lures of this world, the lures of evil, distract us and pull us away from the perfect peace that He has. But in that day, those lures are removed. And so, it will be much easier to keep our minds stayed on Him. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, that is Jehovah, for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. This speaks of one of the characteristics of God, one of the attributes of God, that He is everlasting strength. The, the theological term is omnipotent, that He is all-powerful, that He will never falter in His strength at all. You ask Him to hold something and He would never tire from holding it. For He brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. Oh, most upright, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. I love Isaiah chapter 26, 8. Passion conferences turn me on to that. That's their theme verse. They, they pull it from a different version. I think it's the New Living Translation. 
It says, your name and your renown are the desires of our soul, as it will be in that day for those that follow Christ. That is our desire today. We would live for his name, that we would live for his renown, his fame, that we would glorify him on the earth. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. As Jesus reigns there in verse 9, as Jesus reigns, we learn righteousness. The inhabitants of the earth will learn, world will learn righteousness. In that day, we'll turn on the news and the news will just keep getting better and better. It won't be bad news on top of bad news when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem because we'll be learning righteousness. So tomorrow in, 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 the kingdom of, in that kingdom age will be better than today because we're learning righteousness. It will be good news at 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock and 11 and on Yahoo and CNN. Well, CNN, never mind. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will, deal, he will not learn righteousness. Wow. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Grace is going to be shown to all as Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem. It's going to be shown and denied. And the result the wicked will not behold the majesty of God. That's sad. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. He establishes peace, not us. That's done through the cross. We have peace with the righteous God. I like that phrase. You have also done all our works in us. That's showing our complete dependence upon Him. O Lord our God, masters beside you have had dominion over us. Wow. I've seen that in my life. I know some of your testimonies. Masters have had beside you have had dominion over us. But by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead, those masters. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. It's interesting. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Isaiah prophesies here, speaking of the new heavens and new earth. It says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. People ask the question, so if I'm not sure that Aunt Matilda was saved when she died, you know, am I going to spend all of heaven, you know, all eternity in heaven worried about Aunt Matilda because she's not there? And the answer is no. You won't remember Aunt Matilda. That's, that's what it's saying. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. We'll be in a new place. We'll be in a new heaven and a new earth. And, and our focus and our attention and all, all, all that we are will be in glorifying and honoring Him. 
Their memory will be made to perish, it says in verse 14. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They have poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so we, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We've been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. In our own strength, we accomplish nothing. We bring forth wind, no baby. Your dead shall live. What a great verse. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall rise. Awake, Isaiah is saying this, awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Speaking of the resurrection, even in the Old Testament. People ask if the, Old Te- if the resurrection's in the Old Testament, right there. And so now, in light of all this, Isaiah makes an invitation. In light of the kingdom age to come, says in verse 20, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a moment, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. This could refer to the rapture of the church. Enter your chambers, right? What did Jesus say? I go to make a place for you, that where I am, there you may also be. God is preparing a place. He's preparing our chambers. And he could be saying here, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little moment for the period of the great tribulation until the indignation is passed. This could also be directed toward the Jews that remain on earth, his people, during the great tribulation period as they're ushered into Petra, the place that they'll be protected there in Jordan. Finishing up, for behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood, and will no more cover her slain. The Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants. God's got it under control. We are headed toward his prescribed end. We can trust in him. We can rest in him. Our mind, when our minds are stayed on him, we find perfect peace. Amen? Let's stand, let's close in prayer. God, with all my heart, I say thank you tonight for your love for us, which redeems us and restores us unto a right relationship with you. You have cast away the covering of death. You have removed the veil that allows me, allows us to see that We were in need of a Savior. Jesus, you fulfilled that through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection. You overcame our greatest foe, our greatest enemy, death. You resurrected to life, and in you we have the promise of the resurrection. And there's a day coming when we will rule and reign with you, Lord. All all the work is now. You've created us for good works, Lord. So I pray that we would rise up boldly 
that we wouldn't walk in timidity, that we wouldn't walk in fear. Because as you are in the city of Jerusalem in that day, you are within us today. Temples of the Holy Spirit as we walk this earth. May we walk forth boldly, Lord. There is nothing that can come against us that is not allowed by your hand. You are sovereign over all things. May we keep our eyes fixed on you that we might too find that perfect peace. As we go from this place, I pray that you bring us your protection. I pray, Father, that every meal celebrated tomorrow, every gathering offered, Lord, we begin with bowed hearts and bowed heads, people giving thanks to the one that created us, for you are the one worthy of praise. May we live for your fame and your renown. In Jesus' name, amen.